All right, welcome again to H2O Church. So glad you guys are here with us. As uh, Kent mentioned, we're in the middle of a series on Exodus. And uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know. If not, I'll catch you up. But we've just been talking about this amazing book of getting the people of God out of slavery and into a worshipful relationship with their holy God. And through all this book, we're going to just be learning about how God is trying to teach these people who he is. They don't have a lot of knowledge of who he is, and he's trying to get them out into this wilderness place uh, to build his nation. And so these people have been through a lot. Okay, they went through years and years of slavery. When Moses came to free the people, they had uh, experienced some crazy plagues that were very difficult. Then when they escaped Egypt, they were near death because the Egyptians were coming after them. And then in the last couple chapters that we don't have time to go through, we're seeing that they were really hungry. And they start complaining to Moses and they're saying, Moses, is this why you brought us out here so that we could starve to death? At least when we were slaves, we had some food. And they're just grumbling, and Moses is like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with these people? And then after they get some food, the same thing happens with their thirst. And in chapter 17, where we are today, if you have a Bible, you can turn there or uh, check it out on the app. Some of the verses will be up here on the screen. Uh, Moses hits this rock to provide them water because the same thing, they're just complaining that they're going to die of thirst out here in the wilderness. And through all these experiences, all these trials and the circumstances that they're going through, God has got one purpose, point their eyes to him. And really, that's the big idea of this morning, of what we're going to be talking about this morning, is God wants us to be looking to him through the struggles of life. He wants us to be people of prayer. He wants us to look at what's going on in our lives and not just focus in on the physical things going on in our lives, but to be asking that huge question, God, what are you doing through this? What what are you doing and how can I be praying about this? So let's read these verses again that Heather read in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And let me just pray before we read this passage again. God, we are so thankful to just be in this place and to sing about what a great God you are. Lord, you are shaping us. You are molding us. You are using the circumstances of our lives to deepen the intimacy with you. And God, I know that that's a supernatural work. That's nothing that uh, I can do. It's nothing that we can do on our own, but it is an act of your Spirit. And so, God, we quiet our hearts before you this morning, and we ask you that our hearts would be soft, and you would open up our spiritual eyes to see what you're doing. Lord, help us not to be blind to the spiritual things going on around us, and we know that we need your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Picking up in verse 8, it says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Raphidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about that when Moses held his hands up, the Israelites prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. 
Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn, The Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. So again, in this chapter, they just experienced this miraculous thing with uh, food being provided and now water being provided. Okay, and so they're going through this roller coaster experience in this Exodus experience. Okay, and then we get into verse 8, and I just was really blown away. And this very first thing that happens through all that they've been going through, here's the next part. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Raphidim. And I just, I saw that word, then this happened, you know, and I was, I was just stopped. I just stopped right on that first verse. And I was like, wow, they are going through a lot. Do you ever feel like in your life, you're just going through stuff like, man, the kids are sick and I'm struggling with this and things at work are going on and things are difficult at school and I'm having these relationship problems and then this and then this and then this. And it's just the next then is happening. And the next then is happening to the people of Israel. It's like, is it not enough, everything that we've gone through, God? Okay, they wake up one morning and someone came, someone saw this happening, and they said, hey, Moses, everybody, you know this guy Amalek, the Amalekites, they're they're coming to kill us right now. And you're like, really? Are you serious? You know, we're surviving all this stuff, and now someone wants to come against us in war and kill us? You know, at some point, you just want to throw your hands up to heaven and say, God, what is going on? I know I can relate to that. I know that you can. When we look at the the struggles that we go through, and especially at times when we're really trying to do something great for God, and we're really on a mission from God, it feels like the trials can come even more. And we really have to settle into this, this spot of Christianity, that even though we've asked Jesus to come into our lives and save us from our sins, that life is not easy. Life is filled with struggle. And sometimes even in the Christian realm, we can kind of get deceived into this really happy gospel that when I ask Jesus into my life, everything in my life is going to be really easy. And I still fall into that sometimes. I want the comfort in my life. I want it to be easy. I want to pray and I want to walk with God and I want my life to be easier. Do you ever feel that way? And sometimes I'm just surprised when the next then comes. But God doesn't want us to be surprised. He wants us to know that life is full of struggles. And when we can rest in that, knowing that these these trials and these struggles that come our way, they're not there to discourage us, even though the enemy wants them to discourage us. And they're not there so that we can quit and say, this isn't working. They're all there to push us into a deeper intimacy with God. And sometimes we just hate that just to be honest. We, we're stubborn, and we don't want the trials, and 
We just want the problems to go away. I had a big situation like this recently um, that just one of those nights when I thought, oh man, this is just going to be a really fun night. And I had all these high hopes for this fun night. Okay. And it was the weekend of women's weekend. Did some of you go to women's weekend and have a fun time? Okay. You guys were off having a fun time. That's awesome. It was a very challenging night for me, Friday night, when you guys were off having fun. So Mary Lynn's gone. She's having a great time. I said to the kids, hey, let's go to a Pistons game. They're like, yeah, that'll be fun. They've been wanting to go see the Pistons. We get in this Yukon, this car. I just got very recently. It's a really old car, but it was really nice. My brother-in-law gave me this great deal on this Yukon. And we drive up to the Pistons game, and we go to the game, and the Pistons lost, but it was okay. We were still having fun. We come out about 10.30 at night, and my Yukon is gone. I was like, I must have parked on a different street. I'm lost right now. This isn't happening. I was really pretty confident of where we were, but we're walking around, me and my three kids, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, walking the streets of downtown Detroit in a snowstorm, like six, seven inches of snow, and my heart is just getting sadder and sadder as I walk. And the kids are like, Dad, we're tired. Where'd you park? <laughs> it's like, I know I parked right here. And it was gone. All the other cars on the street were still there except ours. And we went and we found a policeman and we said, hey, our car's stolen. You know, he did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you're from Toledo. You know, you don't know where you parked. So we get in the police car, okay? I'm in the front seat. My three kids are packed in the back like little criminals. <clears throat> and we're just driving the streets of Detroit looking for my Yukon. My wife texts me, hey, did you get home from the game yet? And, and is everything okay? That type of thing. I lied. I did. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I was like, yep, all good. <laughs> I really wanted to take a picture of the back seat of the kids and just be like, well, it's kind of a long story, but our kids were arrested tonight. <clears throat> it was way too early for me to do any humor at this point. And it, he couldn't find it. And we had to go to the police station, fill out this report, stolen vehicle. And he's like, okay, you're free to go. It's midnight. I'm in downtown Detroit with three little guys and uh Man, my kids were so resilient. It was amazing. We, we found a hotel. We stayed there. We got a rental car. Went back to Toledo the next day. No car. So we were just praying and praying that, you know, that, that someone would turn the car back in. And then we got this call that it was found. I was really happy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is an answer to prayer. But I went up to see it and it was stripped big time. Then the heart went back down again in sadness. So the car is being repaired. They're not even sure if they can repair it. It was a huge, huge trial. Totally stripped. Uh, did some damage to the engine and left the sunroof open. And uh, it got rained on and snowed on. And <clears throat> so we are in the midst of this trial right now. And, uh, and we're, we're just trying to make do until this, this uh, is all worked out. And so, you know, I was discouraged. And I went out, and I've, and I've been discouraged like this before. I'm sure you've been discouraged like this before. And you're out there just saying, God, what's going on? You know, what are you doing in my life? You know, we just got this car. We got this great deal from my brother-in-law. Like, why is all this happening? And I was reminded of this verse in John 16, 33. 
Jesus was comforting his disciples. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, that verse brought me so much hope because it says a couple things. Let's, let's just look at that really quickly. Is Jesus is saying, look, you're going to have a hard time in this life. He didn't promise us any, any easy way or any comfort in life. He said, I've told you this so that you might have peace in your heart when you're going through these really hard things. Here on this earth, you're going to have lots of trials and sorrows. But what's the hope? The hope is it's going to be okay because he has overcome this world. And what that reminded me of, and I hope it reminds you at this moment, is that we are in two different worlds. That's what this passage says kind of behind the passage is, yeah, we're on this earth right now, but this isn't our destiny. This isn't the real world. The real world is the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly realm where God is reigning. And in the end, no matter what happens to us in this realm, God is going to overcome this world. He's going to overcome the problems. He's got this. You know, there's going to be people on, on this earth that are going to try to steal from us. There's going to be things that are going to hurt us, to, to break our hearts in this world. But God can overcome all of that. He's going to win in the end. And when I just went off to pray, I just really felt he spoke this to me. He said, Matt, your home is not in this world. And that's what I want to share with you today is our home is, is in another world. That's our home. And when we think we're just making this our home and, and our house and our friends and our job and everything that's just in front of our eyes right now, like this is it, it can get really discouraging. And we can lose heart because we're, we're not able to like make it the way we want it to be. And God said, that's okay because this isn't your home. You're living in this other place, and I'm preparing a place for you where there aren't going to be any more broken hearts, and there aren't going to be tears, and things aren't going to be stolen, and things aren't going to go bad anymore. And it's going to be sweet, and it's going to be awesome. And as I was just praying through this verse, and I was thinking about this, I just started feeling better. I started feeling peace. God has this, and it's going to be okay. But you know, to stay in that frame of mind, to stay in that spiritual place is a war. And we are at war. The Bible tells us there is a spiritual war going on over our, our minds and our hearts every single day. The enemy is fighting the, the, the powers of God, and we are in this battle. And how do we battle? We battle with prayer. In Exodus 17, 11, let's go back to the passage it says, so it came about when Moses held his hands up that Israel prevailed. They started to win. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. And you see, this is a really cool thing because they didn't just pray, you know. When the enemy came to fight, he said to Joshua, pick up the swords. I want you to go out there and battle this person. Okay, so sometimes in life, we've got to do things. We can't just sit on our couch and pray all the time. 
Okay, We're not just these heavenly minded people. We've got to go out and try to influence this world for Jesus. Okay, That's part of it. But we don't just do it all in our own physical strength. Even though Joshua was down there with swords in hand battling this, these people, Moses said, Joshua, you go do that, but I'm going to pray. Because this battle isn't just about you, Joshua, and your sword in your hand. This is about God. And so Moses is up there praying, crying out to God with his hands up. And you know this hands up thing is a really interesting thing. I don't, you know, if you've been around church, you kind of see people raise their hands or they raise their hands or they do all these different things with their hands and think, okay, what's going on there? And it's, it's really just this physical picture of hopefully what's going on in our hearts. You know, sometimes when I'm praying and maybe when you're praying, you're just kind of holding your hands open like this in this place of surrender. You're saying, God, I I just, whatever's in my life that I'm holding on to too tightly, I just, I want to open up my hands and just surrender that to you. Or like a child is, is raising their hands to a father, say, lift me up, you know, pick me up, God. I need you to lift me up. And we need to be children at heart that are just looking to our heavenly father to, to pick us up. Or also it's, a, it's just a, a position of worship. You know, you're a holy, powerful God, and I raise my hands up to just say, you are an awesome God. And for whatever reason, Moses was raising his hands. It was a picture of prayer. And just like we get tired, and we get tired in this spiritual battle, we get tired in the physical battle, and his arms start to come down, these other guys were lifting his hands up. And so we see this picture in Exodus that he wanted his people to learn at that time. Again, they're just coming out of Egypt. They don't understand all this stuff. That this battle is God's battle. And here we are thousands of years later learning the same things in our lives. That we need to have a priority of prayer in our lives. We need to make prayer a priority. So let me just pause there and just ask you, are you lifting up the things in your life to God. As you think of the hard things that have happened to you last week, maybe things that you're going through right now, things that are coming up on your, your calendar here in the next few weeks that maybe are giving you anxiety or there's trials in your life or difficulties in your life. You know, you, just between you and God, just ask him, you know, am I prayerful right now? Am I trying to do this in my own strength? Or do I really believe in my heart that this is a spiritual matter and I need to just simply utter the words, if that's all we can say is, Jesus, help me. Help me with this situation. Help me with my money. Help me with this conflict. Help me forgive. Help me overcome this sin. Help me overcome this situation at work or at school. I'm upset. I'm, I'm not doing well. Jesus, come and help me. We need to make a prayer, a big part of our lives, a priority, something that's very frequent in our lives. And just open up our eyes to what's going on. Because He can fix it. He can change the situation. He has the power to change the situation. You know, I was reading this story that was just so funny to me. You know, Henry Ford, he you know, revolutionized the whole industrial age. Henry Ford created the assembly line. He's famous for making cars. And, and he would just make these gigantic factories that would just pump out all this amazing stuff. Well, he had this guy that was just this mechanical guru. His name was Charles Steinmetz. And he was brilliant. 
Without Charles Steinmetz, Henry Ford would not have been who he was because Henry Ford would dream up these amazing things and these big dreams, but Charles Steinmetz would be the one to execute it. And he was an older man and kind of retired. And, and one of the days the generator broke in this assembly line and everything just shut down. Nothing was working in Henry Ford's factory. And he brought all of his engineers together, all these smart guys, and they're trying to fix this generator and nobody can fix it. And they're losing time and they're losing money and they're frustrated and they're trying and trying to fix it and they can't fix it. And they call Charles Steinmetz and they said, would you please come in and, and make this work again? Charles Steinmetz comes to the factory. He tinkers with this generator for 10 minutes, makes it all work again. Whole factory comes to life and he leaves. It was amazing. Charles Steinmetz sent him a bill for $10,000 to Henry Ford. Henry Ford's like, Come on. You know, he writes a note, Charles, you were in the factory for 10 minutes. Why are you charging, charging me $10,000? Charles Steinmetz writes back. He says, you know, the 10 minutes of tinkering, that's $10. But knowing where to tinker and how to fix it, that's $9,990. And Henry Ford paid the bill. <laughs> God is the one. He knows where to tinker. He's the one that knows how to fix things that we can't fix. And we can try to put all of our energy into these things, and we can try and try, and we might be spinning our wheels because we're so stubborn in our hearts that we don't want to go to him. We don't want to surrender. We don't want to admit that we need help. You know, sometimes <clears throat> with the small things of life, we're, we're hesitant to go to him. And sometimes we need to know the big things that are going on in life to remind us that he's over all things. And you know, recently I was reading this uh, story about um, this uh, Arab lady. Uh, her name is uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali. There's a picture of her that's going to come up. And I was just really convicted by this lady's story and some of the things that she's written. She's actually an atheist. And I was reading this thing that she wrote in Newsweek a few years ago, Newsweek magazine. That's not a Christian magazine. She's not a Christian person. And she was talking about the spiritual battle that's going on in our world. And again, I was just really moved by this. I was thinking, this woman has more awareness of the battle and the spiritual battle going on than many of us as Christians. And what she was writing about like really opened up my eyes to what God is doing in this world. And here's a little snippet of what she was talking about in this Newsweek article about the Christians that are being killed for their faith. And, and she said this and other people said this. You know, more Christians are being martyred today in this time period than in any other time in history. That blows me away. You think about the times of, of martyrdom in the past, but there are more people dying because they say, we love Jesus and we want to walk with Jesus than in any other time in history. And we're, we're completely sheltered from it. We're completely blind to it. And we can be really blind to the battle. And here's what she says. She's talking about uh, all these things going on in the, in the spiritual realm and religions in this world. And she says, but in fact, a wholly different kind of war is underway. An unrecognized battle costing thousands of lives. 
Christians are being killed in the Islamic world because of their religion. It is a rising genocide that ought to provoke global alarm. She goes on to say, But a fair-minded assessment of recent events and trends leads to the conclusion that the scale of severity of Islamophobia pales in comparison with the bloody Christophobia currently coursing through Muslim-majority nations from one end of the globe to the other. The conspiracy of silence surrounding this violent expression of religious intolerance has to stop. That is from an atheistic woman that recognizes that Christians are being killed for their faith in such a number she would label it as a genocide. If we're ever just blinded or shielded to the spiritual realm and what is actually going on in this world, we're just missing out. We're missing out on tapping into the power of what God is doing and why these people are hated so much because they're proclaiming their faith. And so what are we to do? It isn't just Joshua just taking up his sword. Yes, we can defend ourselves, but it isn't just this physical battle for the Christian martyrs. It is a spiritual battle that we need to come before God and we need to pray. Because it says very clearly in Ephesians 6.12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Okay, this isn't about taking up the sword in, in the war. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Are we recognizing the enemy attacking us in our lives. If you often just were to ask the question, what is Satan doing in my life to destroy me? That would make you so much wiser and so much more in tune with God's heart and what's happening in your life. The Bible tells us very clearly that the enemy is prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking to devour you. He has schemes. He has plans to destroy you. He comes to seek, to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us this abundant life. And so we need to be reading things like this. We need to be coming and worshiping, and we need to be talking to each other about the spiritual battle. Because we need this foundation of prayer in our life. What's the foundation of prayer in your life? What's your foundation and your belief? Do you believe what I'm saying here? And is that something that if we were to watch your lives and see your prayer life, that it would really be reflected that this is what you believe? You know, talking about the foundation, I was thinking about this, uh, this building in, uh, at Ohio State, the Wexner Art Center. I don't know if any of you have seen that before, but Mary Lynn and I spent about like six years down in Columbus working at Ohio State. In this art building in, um, <clears throat> at Ohio State, there's a picture of it right there. The Wexner Art Center is kind of an odd-looking building. And uh, this pastor was there recently um, getting this tour of this place. And this pastor was telling me about this. And the tour guide that kind of knows a lot about architecture said, Hey, did you know the Wexner Art Building, which is supposed to look artsy, you know, it says this was the first postmodern-looking building. And the pastor's like, postmodern building? What do you mean by that? He says, well, you know, postmodernism, there's no meaning to life. You know, everything's meaningless. 
Everything's just random in this world. There's no sense to it. And so this building was built to represent that. And this building doesn't make a lot of sense. This building was made to just look weird and awkward. And, and there's rooms that are shaped in such ways that you can't even really use the room. There's staircases that go to nowhere. You walk up the steps and you're at a, you're at a wall. And this whole art building is just random and weird and, and doesn't make any sense. It's like, okay, I guess that's art. And then the pastor said to the, to the person giving the tour, was the foundation built in the same way? And uh, the guy said, well, I hope not. I, no, I, I think that was built with a lot of thought behind it because if not, the building would collapse. You know, nobody builds a postmodern foundation, okay? You don't say, you know, in this part, let's just not have a foundation. And over here, let's just put some bales of hay. And over here, maybe we'll throw some wood up and we'll just whatever. Because it won't work. It doesn't make any sense. And the building will collapse and people would die. So it's kind of hypocritical. The foundation had a lot of sense. And it was built in a way to have a purpose. And you know, in our lives, really the foundation of what you're building, your life is a building. And as much as what's above the ground, we could think, oh, these circumstances in my life, they're just random. They're chaotic. There's no meaning to it. When I'm having this fight with this person, or this thing happens to me, or it's just random. It's just postmodern. It's just, it doesn't matter. That idea of life, that philosophy of life will be damaging and it will collapse because it's just not true. And it's not what God is trying to build a foundation in our life is that we need to believe there's a spiritual war going on and our God wins and that's why we come to places like this. This is why we sing the songs. This is why we read our Bibles. And this is why we devote ourselves to prayer. This last point is that we need others' prayer and help also. I need to be around people that think this way. I need to be around brothers and sisters that say, you know we're in a spiritual war, right? And I'm like, yeah, I forgot. Pray with me. You know, I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. You know, in verse 12 and 13, it says, but Moses' hands got heavy. They dropped. He, he couldn't hold them up all through the battle, all through the night. So what'd they do? They took a stone and put it under him. And they said, here, Moses, sit on this. And Aaron's on one side and hers on the other, helping him pray. They supported his hands, one on each side, one on the other. And thus his hands stayed steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, and they won because they were a team. And that is what we desire in this church. That is what we desire for you at, at H2O and, and everything we do. We don't want to do this life in this spiritual battle alone because we will lose you will lose and the building will come crushing down if you try to do this spiritual life without each other. 
And we need to come together and we need to talk about what's going on and say, pray for me. Hold my hands up. I am so tired. I just want to quit right now. And I need you. And I, and I talk about this in my groups and, and we talk about it in our huddles and we talk about it here and we come together and we sing and we do all that we can to hold each other's up, hold each other's hands up and our arms up and lift each other up together so that we can win this battle. Let's pray for that.